I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show it's vague that's the the, that's next year's big literary fiction bestseller Mm -hmm. a sensation of understanding that is such a book title (laughs) i know (laughs) really oh yeah so many so many so many damn books I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Helen Phillips in the damn library with us this afternoon. Helen, uh, welcome. Thank you for Thanks having for coming. me. Thank you. Uh, Helen's collection, Some Possible Solutions, received the 2017 John Gardner Fiction Book Award. Her novel, The Beautiful Bureaucrat, a New York Times notable book of 2015, was a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and the NYPL Young Lions Award. Her collection, And Yet They Were Happy, was named a notable collection by the Story Prize. Um, you've w- received a Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award and the um, Italo Calvino Prize for Fabulous Fiction. And your work has appeared in The Atlantic, The New York Times, and Tin House, um, and on Selected Shorts. Uh, and you're an uh, associate professor at Brooklyn College and live in Brooklyn with your husband, artist Adam Douglas Thompson, and their children. And The Need is a National Book o- Award-nominated book as well. It is, yes. So the welcome. We're so glad that you could come and join us. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what is what is this soon to be award nominated drink that we're drinking? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> this this is called satisfying, as in satisfying the need um, for a drink, um, and it's a. Uh, so I, I found this spirit at Astor Place, um, that awesome liquor store in Manhattan that has like everything. And it's called Batavia a Rock. And it was um a spirit that they that you'll see mentioned in old tiki um book cocktail books and older and and it's something that they've only just recently brought back. And it's this really interesting sort of rum adjacent spirit. And I've been playing around with it and I just thought of like how the need had this sort of like I don't know, like this just uneasy sort of feeling. Like it's something that's close to it, but not quite. That's sort of what Batavia Iraq makes me feel like. It's a sort (laughs) of like funky, strange thing. And so I started playing around with it with, um, and so it's lime juice, coconut water, and um, green tea, simple syrup. Mm -hmm. And it's just shaken and poured over with some of a a lime swirl, lime rind swirl in it. And uh, and yeah, it's, uh, I I wanted it to match the need as just, like what it felt, what it feels like to drink it is what it feels like to read it. Is that what I'm hoping? Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a strange tasting drink. Yeah, it is, but it's very similar to so many other things, and yet none of those other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Which is certainly, I, I like that as a comparison to the book. It's like rum, but not rum. This is life, but not life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's coconut water. Like it's like the dream of coconut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, um, and uh, you, the actual um, uh, proportions of everything, you can go to our website, so many damn slash the damn bar, and we'll have all that information on how to make the drink at home. Um, which you guys should make this at home if you can find Batavia. If you can't find Batavia Iraq, just a white rum will do. Um, will be fine as a as a substitute. But really, if you have like a cool, like I don't know, if you've got that cool liquor store in town, they probably have it because it's it's cool at its back. Nice. Yeah. What um what else have you bought recently? Oh sure, let's go into the next part of the show. What'd you buy? Um. Yes, I bought this book completely just because I loved the um, the cover. Um, it's called Baby by Annalise Yoakum. And um, it's a pink cover with a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with just one bite taken out of it. That's the entire cover. It's okay. really cool. And it's about the, these two women who find each other in like a moment of desperation. And they just decide to um, s- steal one of their father's... like money from his bank account and go buy a boat called baby and um it's about them like trying to live this idealized life um and it falling apart because they don't know each other and um, they don't know the what to do with boats Um, (laughs) so i'm really you know this was straight up i was just at a community bookstore cool and just saw it on the shelf you know facing out and it worked you judged it by its cover. Straight up judged it by its <laughs> cover. <laughs> um, I'm so excited about it. It has an um, it had an Eleanor Catton um, uh-huh. uh huh blurb right on the cover, and I don't know. I I trust her too. Nice. Yeah. Um, Helen, do you want to talk a book that you bought recently? I or haven't. Got recently? So I. I did not have to buy these two books that I'm going that I feel excited about because Grey Wolf Press, bless their hearts, sent me a couple of their books. Probably because whenever I have an opportunity like this to talk about books that I love, they're always published by Grey Wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm very excited to read Barn Eight by Deb Olin Unferth. Mm. Oh, that is. I guess the premise is that some people decide to set free a bunch of chickens. <laughs> I think from a, you know, yeah. from one of those evil places, um, and then also Carmen Maria Machado's in the Dream House. Oh yeah! So I Gray Wolf Press kindly sent me those, and they are top of my pile. Mm. That um, Deb Olin Unferth, she wrote uh, a McSweeney's. McSweeney's put out this awesome, like, really short story collection that she did, where they're all the stories are like a paragraph or a couple paragraphs long. Ooh. And like, she always sticks out in my mind as someone who like mastered this like eight sentence story thing. That's yeah. so amazing. They're so sharp and so humane at the same time. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm curious, what an, it's a novel? It's a novel. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Drew? Um. I this is also something we got sent. We're starting to get 2020 books, Ugh. which is kind of why I mean we started to get 2020 books in three months June. ago, but I just kind of <laughs> ignored them. Um, but FSG is doing a fun thing next year that all of their arcs and the branding and stuff they've got this vote fiction thing, and they're doing a like voter registration slash just like be more engaged 
thing with with a bunch of their fiction next year uh and the first i got a bookmark with um the first one of these that i've seen is the cactus league emily neiman's uh debut novel Mm. she's the new editor of the paris review and i i ran into her at like a book party a couple of years ago she right after she got named the editor of the review She's like, well, what, do you, what do you do? How are you here? And I was like, oh, I co-host this podcast, Sony Dan Books. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know that. And I had this moment of like, so, so, so cool. <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to have a novel coming out from FSG in a couple of years. Uh, so you guys should have me on the show. And I was like, cool. Great. <laughs> I had kind of forgotten about it until it showed up in my mailbox. And I was like, oh. There it is. Um, it's a baseball novel. Sure. But with some sort of strangeness to it. Mm. Um, I'm stoked. It comes out in February. And it just the the vote fiction thing grabbed me and i was like okay i'm excited to see how they how a publisher can try to step up yeah as next year starts to roll around Mm. i can um i feel like i enjoy reading about baseball in a way that i would never enjoyed playing it or watching it but i can (laughs) i can read about baseball for some reason like i love um nonfiction about it too like i don't Mm. know it's i feel like it it does lend itself to storytelling for sure. some reason yeah the structure of the game has an inherent arc and drama yeah, yeah and every yeah. at bat has an, like an inherent drama mm-hmm. that um, just never seems to manifest when you're sitting in the stadium and you're like We've been waiting here for how long? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it looks very static <laughs> oh well things that aren't static oh the need. Oh my gosh, your novel. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how you're talking about it. So, because it seems like anything I say about it is like a spoiler because there's so many things that get turned on its head, like as, as you're reading. So, I'm just curious what, how do you tell people what it's about? And uh, well, for I, our listeners, as much as that's let's see. So, <laughs> I. When I was working on it, I described it somewhat glibly as a sci-fi thriller about motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that that really actually captures what it is. Um, I've described it as an existential thriller with a lot of lactation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that what it really is, it's part psychological drama, part speculative fiction, part thriller the question of genre has been really interesting with this book. I wasn't thinking about horror when I was working on it, but that is a term that has come up a lot in the reviews. Mm-hmm. I had someone call it a ghost story. So oh, hmm. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of different terms, but to move away from the genre and just talk about what the book is about, it begins with a woman home alone with her two young children. And she thinks she hears an intruder in the other room. And at the same time, there is um, an, a crisis unfurling at her workplace, and these two crises, professional and personal, end up colliding in mm. the book. If that yeah. kind of captures it. it totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's one of those books that you almost can't fully describe, both because you don't want to spoil it, but because there's no, like, the map is not the territory. You just have to read it and experience the mm-hmm. way that you make these, you make genre shifts in the book. The The beginning of the book is... I it's thought I I thought it was up, horror straight up in horror that, like, thriller like it's so it's heart pounding it really is in a way that that builds tension to like a couple of times I just was tearing my hair out yeah. as I was like oh, I don't want to turn the page yeah and then the novel takes a couple of tonal shifts after that and it how did you find the tone that you were looking for 
Well, I think it's an interesting and important point that that shifts over the course of the book Mm -hmm. because it really was my goal in the beginning to pull the reader in with that kind of momentum that we associate with page turners. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that page turner can in some circles be considered a derogatory term, but I think that page turner is a really interesting term. Like what do you do to get someone to turn the pages? And Mm. from my earliest days of reading, it's so fun to read a book where each chapter leaves you wanting more. And how could you use that momentum to ask some of the deepest questions about parenthood and about identity and existence so Mm. I I really deliberately wanted to achieve that momentum and then as the mysteries unveil themselves I feel like it really becomes a story about two people having one of the most difficult conversations you can possibly have Mm. about empathy and um, so for me the book also I don't think it reads this way at the beginning, but it's really an ethical journey that the protagonist has mm-hmm. to go on. Mm-hmm. So huh. it, it gets quieter as it goes on, maybe, or the eeriness becomes more of like a buzz in the or a hum in the background and less in your face than it is at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like that old, uh, like boiling a frog sort of thing like once you're at like (laughs) a a boil level it's just like oh yeah like you're just you're just in it at that point um boiling along with the frog (laughs) i'm letting this go i was i was so in love with um the pit can we Mm -hmm. talk about um this this seam because it's fascinating it was fascinating to me she's an archaeologist paleobotanist paleobotanist but there is an archaeological dig Mm -hmm. that that she is in and um they're they're looking for plant matter um and plant fossils but they're finding other things (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um i don't know while i was reading it and maybe it's just because you know, reading it with writing in mind, um, it felt like the uh, a metaphor for writing, like going and you're looking for something specific, but you just keep getting this weird stuff, and you're like, I don't, <laughs> dang it, like that's not quite it, but maybe. Um, did you have that in your mind when you were working on it, or is it something people point out to you now? No, I think so. From the beginning of the book, or pretty early in the process, I knew that I wanted her to be a scientist who is excavating the earth in some way. And I do think there is a quality of that being a stand-in for what the writing process feels like, that you're excavating into these dark layers and you don't understand what you're going to find. And then when you do find something, it doesn't make sense. Um, (laughs) So the entire first draft of the book, though, I didn't actually know whether she was an archaeologist or a paleontologist. And I left a lot of placeholders there. And then by great good fortune and good chance, my in-laws happened to know a woman whose daughter is a paleobotanist and a oh. professor of paleobotany. Cool. And so I got on the phone with her just because I didn't really understand what paleobotany is, which is paleontologists who study exclusively plant fossils. Um, and so in that conversation, we talked for about two and a half hours and she told me something about paleobotany that ended up being really pivotal to the plot, which I hadn't known, which is that paleobotanists, um, it's not uncommon for them to find fossils that don't make sense to them, that they can't place in the fossil record and that don't match our current flora because the fossil record is incomplete mm-hmm. and it always will be. And so this fact, then I had these mysteries at Molly's workplace that are 
based on the real world because even though the book has speculative and science fiction elements it was really important to me that the book have also a lot of realism to it so mm. I really wanted her work site to be a believable place mm -hmm. the reason that they're finding these nonsensical fossils ends up being other than what it is in our world but the fact that paleobotanists find mysterious fossils is accurate to our world so wow yeah Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. research can lead to, I love it when research leads to a plot or a character insight that you couldn't have arrived at otherwise. Has that happened to you before? I feel like it's happened. This was the most dramatic example in my life, but I feel like often I'll be reading up on something or I'm starting to think about my next book and just, I read an, an article about um, artificial intelligence and robots and it had this really amazing image of these robot chefs Hmm. I was like, ah, that is such a great image for a book. So just <laughs> little thing, little images like that that you can garner from, from research. Mm. There is something super eerie about, like, if I had to classify this book, I think I would put it under the larger umbrella of the weird mm -hmm. and sort of, I, I was thinking a lot about Jeff Vandermeer's work yeah. mm -hmm. with this book. I, I guess I'm just curious to know, did you always have this, this thrum of strangeness in your mind or did that develop as you were writing the book? I feel like the thrum of strangeness is was always there and is basically the reason that I write at all anything mm -hmm. ever because I'm fascinated by those moments where our reality peels back and seems shaky suddenly. Mm -hmm. And I think that that happens with some frequency. I don't know. You you think yeah. you see it one way and then your angle changes. You know, you think you see someone crossing the street and you think that they're carrying two children and then you realize they're just carrying, you know, a pile of blankets or just those moments when your eyes trick you when when you can't rely on your own perceptions. Mm -hmm. I always find those really eerie and interesting. So to me, it's... I do think that classifying it as under the category of the weird is more accurate maybe than a lot of the other descriptors that have been used. But I don't set out to, how to describe this? Like, I don't set out to write a weird book. I just feel like this is the most accurate way to portray a certain um, quality that reality has for me, a certain shimmering mm. quality, sort of like the rum, but not rum. <laughs> or in the book, there's a Coca-Cola bottle where the ta font tips backwards rather than forwards. So, and I, I very intentionally put some really mundane objects in the book that have slight changes to them. So mm -hmm. a Coca-Cola bottle, an Altoids tin, these normal pieces of litter basically, but they have some little difference that makes everything feel off because I think that's sometimes what life can feel like, you know, mm, right. you, you feel like, I don't know, um, uh, reality can peel back and mm. suddenly things aren't as solid as they seem. I'm curious about um, sort of how that relates to motherhood, because motherhood is such an important part of this book, and it seems like a a lot of it is like exploring some of your worst fears about motherhood and also um, like no one's fear, but now they're af afraid of this, like that this could happen in motherhood. Um, mm -hmm. I just, uh, you know, that, that motherhood and strangeness like married. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like people forget how strange 
it all is. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was like really center to this. Um, did you feel like you had to, you were adding to like uh, filling a void? Well, I wouldn't be so grandiose as to say <laughs> I feel like I was filling a void. No, I but guess I, I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do feel like having a child is in a way it's a pretty, a lot of the tropes around it are like very conventional. Like it's a conventional thing to, you know, have a child. People do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in that experience, I found it to be a very shockingly disorienting experience. I don't think that anyone can really tell you anything that can prepare you for that, but just between the exhaustion the profound fatigue, the love, the love that is really unlike any love you've ever experienced before. It's so intense. You feel it's a love so connected to a profound sense of responsibility to someone else's well-being, a love that makes you feel like you would easily give your life up for them. Not Mm -hmm. even, not even a question mark. Yes, you would do that. Um, I mean, that's a destabilizing force to feel in your body. And then there's also the physical aspects of it, giving birth, um, lactation, which is, you know, some people say there's too much breast milk in the book. And I say, (laughs) well, when you're breastfeeding, there's too much breast milk everywhere. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's an intentional thing. So really writing about, I just wanted to evoke that physiological an emotional and psychological experience. And I will say that I, I'm always someone who has turned to books and fiction to guide me. Mm-hmm. And when I had young children, I found a lot of great nonfiction that was felt really relevant at the time, like The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson mm-hmm. and Ongoingness by Sarah Manguso were two. Um, but fiction... I don't know. I wanted to add more representations of lactation and and some of the more uh, maybe surprising feelings that motherhood elicited in me. Can you talk about writing kids? Because Viv and David are so like they're characters. They don't feel older than their age or younger. You know, like mm-hmm. they, they Absolutely. felt they felt like I don't know. I feel like uh, sometimes you can like writing kids. You just end up writing them a little twee because kids are twee like Mm -hmm. (laughs) but these didn't feel like that you know um I thought I I worked hard at that because I do think I mean kids are twee that's kind of (laughs) what twee is they're naturally (laughs) that way and um so I went through that was really a concern of mine in revision and I went through and I cut out a lot of exclamation marks that I had had in Mm. the in Viv the four-year-old girl's dialogue because the exclamation marks in a way cheapened her comments. And one thing that also, along with all the other stuff I've mentioned that was surprising for me about motherhood is how early on children manifest a personality. And I really wanted her to just be a solid character like the other characters in Mm -hmm. the book and to have, um, I don't know, a sense of self to her. And so certain things, I think sometimes people, when they're writing children, they might swap in W's for the R so that they would say, I'm really hungry. And when a child says, I'm really hungry, they think they're saying, I'm really hungry. They're not being cute. right? And so giving the kid in a way the dignity of letting them say on the page what they intend to be saying. And yeah, I, I, w- I really wanted her to be a full character and... um have a real presence Mm -hmm. yeah so yes i felt that that's 
that's it's it's interesting how authors do or don't make the decision to give the dignity that they would give to themselves to their characters especially when their characters don't necessarily look like them mm-hmm. i like i was i just read this alex chi piece that was in i think the cut um and he was talking about the advice that he gives to people who ask about writing writing the other writing somebody who doesn't look like them or doesn't think like them and one thing that that i didn't see in there was a lot of talk about across gender and across racial lines across like everything except for age Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's it's i'm just i'm sitting here thinking about so many times that i've seen kids and they are just treated like objects yeah and it's really i love that idea that she could have been saying she could have been flipping her w's and her r's Mm -hmm. but she didn't think that she was yeah Ah, that's cool i really love that (laughs) that's cool I'm I I want to talk about uh how people are receiving it like how how you've dealt with uh, people responding to it and um you know I, hopefully the people that are responding to it in good faith um you know because this has like a this is so gripping and it has a very thriller like start but it doesn't end that way mm-hmm. it ends in a much more um surreal fashion mm-hmm. and um you know there aren't easy answers so I'm curious how <laughs> how the reading public has reacted um and or do you or do you care like are well, you are no, you mo- I, I mean moved i do on from care it? i don't i mean i avoid it's hard for me to i don't read amazon and goodreads reviews uh-huh. <laughs> because i like to maintain my center uh-huh. um you also don't want to hear about shipping problems that like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but i so a few things one is that when I was writing the book, I you mentioned earlier the idea of writing about or it has in it a sense of fear. And I did feel like I was writing my greatest fear and confessing my greatest fear. And so mm. I felt very um, that produced some anxiety in me as I was writing and as I was looking ahead to publication. And, and I th- would say the center of that anxiety was do other people feel this way about this experience? Because because maybe I hadn't seen a ton of representations of different ways that this can fe- land in people with the way this biological experience of motherhood can land in different people. And so I've gotten a lot of notes from people who say, these are feelings that I had in my heart about motherhood that I haven't expressed before. And so then my job is complete. I mean, mm-hmm. to express myself as honestly as I can, and then to have that resonate in someone else, um, it has made me feel uh, it's not only as a writer, but as a human being that has been just gratifying is not even the word. It's been Mm -hmm. a really deep experience. Wow. Cool. That's awesome. Speaking of responses to the book, uh, I was lucky enough to see you read at egg for their tables of content series a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And Evan made former guest of the show, Evan Hanser made like pie, tins of macaroni and cheese and peas yes (laughs) which i like i was wondering danny and i got there and we were like what is what is gonna come out of this book that's gonna be food is it gonna be like a weird non-edible thing how did i'm just curious to know like what was it like to sit there and like all of a sudden have evan walk out and be like okay here's the food i (laughs) answer 
What, did, what was that like? Well, it's not unlike the experience of having a drink, a cocktail based on my book be made for me. So it's, um, yeah, I love, I love that reading series. Yeah. And Evan, if you're listening, thank you. Um, I, we actually, my favorite part of that evening was talking about the role that food plays in the book mm-hmm. because it's actually even it ties into the title too. the need that I'm thinking of. There are many different needs in the book, but one that I that was really central to me is the very first need that humans have, which is the need for milk. Mm-hmm. So that's your first food. And then throughout the book, I mean, as a mother, Molly is always needing to, even as all of this drama is unfurling, she still needs to get the kids their peanut PB&J. She still needs to serve up the applesauce. And that is just such a consistent, some might say relentless part of being a parent that you just want to feed them and nourish them and help them grow. And so having that discussion in a restaurant with someone who cooks for people all the time mm-hmm. was really um really interesting and and Evan asked me something that I've thought a lot about since he said so do you feel like the most concrete manifestation of your care for your children is the way that their bodies have grown because of the sustenance you've provided them and I don't know if I would say yes to that question but certainly the idea that all of the care that someone has given a child is you know it's part of it becomes part of their body mm-hmm. as they grow wow Your work um, also often deals with, in other uh, books of yours as well, often deals with how you can't ever truly know somebody, or you can, or you can know you can't truly know yourself. Um, is is that just a consistent? You know, if we're talking about the thrum of strangeness, just the thrum <laughs> that like no one knows themselves and no one knows each other. Or, I, I mean, or is it ju- is it the work of life to try to <laughs> uh, decode? It's, it seems like there's like that unease is like felt throughout. I mean, isn't all fiction in a way about that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> not knowing yourself and not knowing another person. But I feel like that is in this book in particular, the the plot itself bears in at that question. How well do you know yourself? Um, and well, I, it's hard to speak about this without spoilers. So I'm trying to think of a way to articulate <laughs> it without spoiling the book. But um, I mean, it's a setup where Molly has to plumb her self-knowledge and her empathy. I'll, I'll put it that way. And, and a way to ask that empathy question in a really direct way is not how much empathy could you have for someone else, but how much empathy could you have for yourself? Mm. You know, and... And then from there, maybe extending that empathy outward. Mm. Yeah. I just want to say we've all done a very good job of revealing next to nothing about this book (laughs) while still also like once you read the book, you'd be like, fuck, they're really profound about this stuff. (laughs) But it is one of those books where you don't want to give anything away. Nice patting ourselves on the back. Look, (laughs) it's a tough thing to contort around like because so much of this book outside of maybe that the first on rushing thriller section i just you don't want to know it's everything is a surprise yeah it's it's a it's a and a, there the surprises come throughout like there's just like there's something else that, ooh, that that moves moves you moves you forward i i, I thought that there was like a, some depictions of just some normalcy that i i just really um i really appreciated mm-hmm. that um 
I feel like the other book that we're going to discuss, there isn't as much normalcy at all in it. Or it mm-hmm. Like there's very little um, of a baseline of, of regular that she is trying to maintain in, um, in Fever Dream. Yeah. By Samantha Schweblin. Um, is that's the book that you had us yes. read for our book Thank club. Thank you for reading it. Yeah. Um, and it, and it definitely, it definitely is really strange. I mean, like I really liked thinking of these books next to each other cause there, there's a, it's also a depiction of motherhood, um, and the, um, rescue distance. Oh, I love that. Are, are you, do you want to talk about why you brought this one? I feel like it's my favorite book. I feel like that's <laughs> something that only children say. <laughs> but I feel like this is my favorite book. I, um, I'm so inspired by that book for having that momentum we discussed mm-hmm. um, of a thriller. And my understanding, I'm pretty sure she studied screenwriting, which I think is interesting. And... Also that this book used to be much longer than it is and Mm -hmm. was more of a fully fleshed mystery and she ended up cutting it a lot. And that is also the way I work. I usually have a first draft that's much longer than the final draft. Interesting. Yeah, I always, it's always, I always know my second draft will be um, shorter than my first draft. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you write, they're very slim, your novels and stories. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I, I, the beautiful bureaucrat used to be twice as long as it is is in the final, wow. and this was quite a lot longer than it is in this. And the cutting is, don't worry, you did you aren't missing anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cutting definitely makes it better. Um, so what I love about Fever Dream, it's so slim and tight, and it has this propulsive forward momentum, but it's using that momentum to explore some really deep and terrifying questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. And I think it's so up for debate what even that book is about. Like, I think it's an interesting point that I've never thought of before, that you don't actually get much of a baseline in that book before things tumble down the hill or off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So I feel like in that book, you're you're never on solid ground Mm -hmm. and what's reality and what's imagined. It's called Fever Dream. So you enter it with that background which i in a way i i'm not crazy about that title i wish i I wish i had a different title i feel like it (laughs) i feel like it undermines it's um it is rescue distance which i I like this this implies i know that there have been like this won the tournament of books Mm -hmm. last year two years ago and lots of people were upset about that because they were like i thought it was going to be a spooky creepy book and it was a little spooky and a little creepy but it wasn't it it defied their expectations yeah. because of the title, and I wonder if Rescue Distance would have functioned I'm differently. Su- I'm always surprised at how pe- people call the call it horror because it's it. I mean, it is scary. I mean, it has scary elements to it, but I it's more. I don't know. I, I it's there's no jump scare. There's no monster. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's no blood. It's just yeah mm-hmm. our poisoned world. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you can feel yeah. like everything feels really dangerous in it. Like you don't want anyone to drink the water. You the don't grass want any, itself. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, like anywhere. Yeah, anywhere that people are breathing or it, eating or drinking anything. It's just like that's probably bad. Don't mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do that. Um, I don't know if she would agree with this. I feel like it's a book about climate change. Mm-hmm. I certainly. Yep. I've been asked to recommend a book about climate change, and this is perhaps a weird choice, but it is one that I turn to because of that insidiousness of the 
environment and the sense of invisible threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love the structure. That's mm-hmm. what I really um, responded to. It's, it's interview style. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, a ghost boy asking, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like you can decide what for yourself, whether he's a ghost boy or what, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying some that kind of ghost. Some, some, probably. Yeah. Maybe. I think he's a ghost boy. Um, asking <laughs> her question. She's in a hospital mm-hmm. and that's sort of, and she's answering and there's more details that are coming out because of that. Mm-hmm. But like that, that, that alone, you know, I've, I've always kind of thought that novels are really in, in a lot of ways answering a series of questions. It's like, how do they feel mm. about it? What did they do next? Like, it's mm-hmm. always like you're answering the question, like always of hopefully you're right along with your reader about what they're, what they'd be asking. And then you're following that. And this is very much that, like it's that down to its bare bones, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, huh. um, a, a really interesting, like, you know, there is no, it's, this is a, there's very, um, it's meaty, but mm-hmm. it's like slim. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point that the, um, questions that we usually embed into the novel are just asked right out. Like right. what is important in that scene? Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. And then she has to try to answer that question and yeah, yeah it's I've, true. The questions of the book are laid out really straightforwardly, it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel straightforward at all. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, yeah. no moment in this book. Am I like, Oh yes, a straightforward novel. Like, yes. no, like It's one of those books that when you finish it, you, you want to start it again. Like I was skimming it to refresh myself and I found myself just falling through it again. Mm. And it, it did make more sense because I knew a little bit more. And so this, this idea of who is the boy, is it a ghost? This time I was thinking about it as her, just like her shattered mind after all of this Mm. tragedy, trying to put the narrative together for herself and Mm. like come back to herself yeah, I mean, as she's laying in a hospital bed, I think it says that she's trapped inside her memories in the book. Like that's what mm. that she's tra- like. That's I. I think that's text. And I just what a horrifying thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, to be trapped to be literally trapped inside your memories, trying to figure out why your memories matter to you. <laughs> it's what that is. That's it. That's true horror right there. It is. <laughs> it is true horror, and I. I had an experience with this book that I can only remember having with one other book, which was The Road by Cormac McCarthy, where I was just reading it and I was having a physiological reaction to the book. I just, I felt like it was in my bloodstream. I felt, I mm-hmm. I guess I, I do love fiction that makes me feel this way, but it's not a pleasant feeling at all. <laughs> it's yes. really, I guess that's the feeling of horror. You feel right. um, infiltrated by the text hmm. and and the characters too are infiltrated so it just felt like a 3d ex- maybe a 4d experience <laughs> reading that book right yeah or 4d and like that you have the like, the, like rat tails against you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i mean especially this idea that it is i i love that idea that it's a climate change book mm-hmm. because it's one of the few books that does i think address the issue without being like, the climate is changing. And instead right. mm-hmm. it's like, nope. I mean, it, it's like Silent Spring yeah. in mm-hmm. that way, where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, no, we did this. We yeah. did all of this. Mm-hmm. 
You're and in- it, you can trace that line very easily. And that, I mean, that to me is very unsettling. I think to lots of people, they're like, we don't care. We still get our hamburgers. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I ha- it's, it takes place in rural Argentina. There's mm-hmm. like um, also there's a psychic that's that's very important to mm-hmm. it that um, they just listen to. And there's like very little like questioning of the psychic's mm-hmm. um, power. And it's just like, yeah, they've got power and they're, they're going to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that sort of that sort of quality of like where you don't question the metaphysical or you don't, you're that it's just like that's all part that's mm-hmm. as much text as like any environmental mm-hmm. um uh, concern i i'm fascinated by that mm-hmm. and how that and how that manifests on the page too and mm-hmm. really it's so short i mean it's so short and it's i like think 150 pages yeah, <laughs> yeah and and just you don't know what reality you're standing in the mm-hmm. whole time. You don't know what reality you're standing. Is it the psychic making the reality or is the psychic, the person we're supposed to be ignoring? Mm. Right. And the worms and the worms, the worms, rock. People who haven't read this book will be so confused by this conversation. <laughs> but people uh, who have read this book may be confused by this conversation. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's a, did you, did you reread it right away or did you, have you, um, I, so I have taught that book. And oh. so when I, so I read it, I think maybe I read it twice and then I taught it. And when I teach a book, I have a, I develop a whole new relationship and a deeper relationship. And I almost hesitate to teach books I really love because I don't like to break them down. I don't Uh like to break down their magic, but for this one, I had to make an exception because I think there's so much to learn from it craft wise. And I think that it is, I've never read another book like it, Mm -hmm. but looking at it with my students, there were certain things we did in close reading that um, illuminated for me some of the tension of the book that I hadn't noticed on my own. Like there's one scene where the mother and the psychic, is it? No, maybe it's not the psychic. The mother and Carla are sitting in the car. Mm-hmm. Carla takes her to the psychic later on, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the mother and Carla are sitting in the car and it's a really tense scene and you really feel like Nina, the daughter, is under threat. But all that Nina is doing is walking across the yard to dip her toe in the pool. Mm-hmm. And I was, my students and I were trying to figure out why is this scene so tense? Because nothing is happening. But then we realize it's because the mother is worried about Nina, but she doesn't say her name for about eight pages. Mm-hmm. Ah. She doesn't call out to her. It gives me chills even to say it now. So she's watching her and there's all this tension building and she's thinking about her, but she doesn't speak to her. And so just little subtle things like that. You're like, oh, I just read eight pages of silence. Uh Right. Yeah. So so teaching it, um, it's been good to teach it, even though I hesitate to do that sometimes. Do um, do you have like a... um an assignment after like i'm just curious like how do you do an assignment yeah like what what do you um for every book this is for my graduate class that i teach at brooklyn college and every week whatever book we read they just have to write two pages and it can be fiction nonfiction, poetry image wow sounds cool yeah collage (laughs) it can be anything so people respond to it in a lot of different ways with my grad students i give them um very few guidelines, mm. but they always come up with interesting things. Yeah, I feel like the response fiction to this must be really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
this book feels so different than your book in the way of like i feel like we can talk about all the details from this and still people are gonna be like mm. be completely <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, like it's there's the reveals are so strange that they don't quite mm-hmm. like call back or um while the need when you when you get like an answer you're you you want to know more now about how that's going to affect the plot and how mm-hmm. that's going to affect what goes forward. And, and, um, and those are such huge reveals. It feels like you're in a completely different room that you're, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that they're, they, but they do feel similar. I think it's that ambiguity, yeah. the ambiguity of the endings maybe mm-hmm. that both of them like sort of let you make up your mind about what you've just experienced. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of, of the, the terror and or the horror i think you could go either way with it mm-hmm. of of the natural world how are you mm-hmm. how are you drawing the line between terror and horror horror uh terror is the anticipation of the thing uh-huh. horror is the seeing of the thing oh, oh i haven't heard that i, I like that I, somebody said that on mm-hmm. twitter at some point i want to say it was victor laval oh. and i was like whoa oh, thanks mm-hmm. victor That's that nice. idea that like <laughs> that hitchcock is terrifying until she gets stabbed through the curtain and there's the blood and, and then, then it's, it's horrifying. horrifying. And I was like, oh, interesting. Oh, I like that a lot. Uh, like uh, you could you could go through both lenses for both of these books, but that that idea of the natural world mm. and in Fever Dream, it's a little more of the wilderness and the mm-hmm. literal natural world and the need. It's it's there's some of that, but then it's also the fact like that we are animals and that mm-hmm. there are there are things that we like to think we've dominated in ourselves and maybe haven't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that feeling of... If, I, I feel like probably the thing they most have in common is just a feeling of invisible threat that you don't totally understand. Mm-hmm. And also the idea of rescue distance, which I do think would be a great title for this. Um, which is... Um, can you remind our listeners? So or? rescue distance is an idea in the book. The protagonist is always uh, very alert of how about how far away her daughter is from her and she envisions this kind of invisible string connecting them and she doesn't want that rescue distance to be too far as long as she's close to her daughter she can protect her but that belief that if you're close to them you can protect them is Mm -hmm. really proven false and i feel like the need is very much about that that um your own vulnerability is so striking. Even your presence can't always protect your children. And Mm. that's, um, that's an uneasy thought. That is an uneasy thought. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. The beginning of the need totally gives the lie to that idea. Yeah. 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 She'll just thinking about it. Uh, Yeah. Should we, um, should we recommend other things that make us feel so deeply, um, about uneasiness and terror? Yes. You go. I have two. One is a book. One is a movie. Okay. Okay. Um, the book, weirdly, the movie, the movie weirdly feels like a, a third part of a triptych with the need and fever dream. Oh my gosh! I need to see it. <laughs> Even though it's it, it is the least weird of the three. Okay. Uh, it's Parasite. Oh. Um, Bong Joon Ho's new movie that won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Seeing it right after this. Oh, oh. really? I haven't seen it. <laughs> it is, it's one, it's another one of those books where you, or it's another one of those 
pieces of culture where you don't want to know anything mm, yeah. going in. The less you know and the more surprised you can be, the more effective that it is. And like in our in the 21st century, isn't it wild to experience something that is being lauded and still be like, but I don't really know much of what it's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I'll say is that it is, it, I mean, it's a takedown of capitalism. It is a harrowing look at family structure and have and have not um that deeply unsettled me i mean it i got out of the movie and i texted a bunch of people who had recently seen it and been like i am completely fried it was four o'clock on friday and i was like i'm i don't know how i'm gonna get through the rest of the day i'm not tired (laughs) but like i can't think i can't move i'm just whoa um and it's i mean it's Beautiful cinematography, mm. tremendously well acted. I it's, love his The Host. Mm-hmm. It's such a good movie. Anyway. I think this is going to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. And if there's any justice in the world, It'll it win. should be the first, I think the first film in a foreign language film that would win Best Picture. Cool. It's just, it's that good. Oh, another artist was in French, wasn't it? It was. Mm-hmm. Damn. All right, anyway. Masterpiece The Artist. Woof. Um, <laughs> and the, the book? The book is Gia Tolentino's Trick Mirror, mm-hmm. which does do a little bit of that, like, look at yourself and look at the world that you're in, and are you terrified by it? Because you should be. Um, the first the first essay where she's like, the internet is bad. It, it's unequivocally at this point, it's become a bad thing. But also, I got famous as a writer on the internet, and the only reason that you're reading my book is because mm-hmm. of the internet. And so how am I supposed to feel about that? And she just takes you through that. And it's the lessons that she is trying to suss out are equally applicable to people who have no fame, who just use Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, It's the, and the rest of the essays are all superb. It's a really great collection. It's her review in the New Yorker of um, Fever Dream. It's uh-huh. she's the, oh, she, she wrote, wrote yeah review. and it's a great review mm-hmm. yeah makes you want to read it yeah so that's what I've got Helen yeah. how about you um okay so something that I love is in the Harwood Museum in Taos New Mexico they have this room of Agnes Martin paintings mm. cool and it was built for the paintings and it feels kind of like a chapel and it's just a place that I love to go. So if you ever go to Taos, New Mexico, be sure to go to the Agnes Martin Room in the Harwood Museum. Ooh, I yeah. like that. Cool. And and my other all the always recommendation is Brian o, Brian Eno's Music for Airports. Oh, why? I listen to it when I'm writing. I listen to it when I'm giving birth to children. I listen <laughs> to it. It goes goes well with everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I've never listened to it before. I'm definitely going to try it out. Yes. Music for Airports do. One is uh, my wife's like go to meditative like calm her down from anything. Yeah. 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 It has. I've I've said this word several times, but it has a physiological effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like nice. that. The opposite of fever dreams, physiological <laughs> effect. So oh. if we need something to, um, yes. So po- after you go read Fever Dream or go see Parasite, then oh, Brian, Brian Eno. Eno. That's damn. That's, the that's exactly yeah. what that's I should have done. That's what you should have done. done. Yes. Oh, well, that's what I'll do tonight. After <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> All right. What do you got? Okay. So this this um this is a novel that's getting a lot of like press right now um it's um will and testament by vigdis jorth which i i don't know i i listened to a few pronunciations of that last name online trying to figure out and um she's norwegian and it is very hard to 
hear when they pronounce names even sometimes. So I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's H-J-O-R-T-H, and it's out from um, uh, Verso Books. And it's about, there's a, um, there's a will, or her, her father is, is dying and, and dies, and it's about like the family dealing with, she has uh, cut ties with them 15 years before, and uh, you will find out why. And but they there's a there are cabins that they're that they're leaving the other children and not her and her brother, and it's sort of like this like talking about like why, huh? And um, the relationship between her and her mother and her and her father and her and her brothers and uh, brother and sisters, and it's also about like her affairs and her own children and um, but there are these little like sh- they're tiny little short like thoughts on. Um, Freud and Jung in it as well. Um, it's a, it's a crazy book, and one of the things that I really loved about it and why I'm recommending it is I've never seen so well um, wrought the um, the agony of like being having to respond at all to something to like somebody sending you a text mm. message that <laughs> you if you don't respond that is its own response. If you mm-hmm. respond, you have to get it right. Like, and how it can ruin your day to get an email from your brother and you're just like, oh my God, this is like, even if I don't answer, that's it. And then you have to game it out, all of Mm -hmm. the things. And she, throughout the book, there's so many good points of, because of course she's trying to not talk to her family ever again. Um, And so being asked to talk to them a lot. Oh, it is a, it's a tough novel. And, um, and when you, when it, it's sort of like a rubber band that when it snaps on why, she has cut ties it really tumbles all down it's a fascinating fascinating novel cool great will and testament thank you yeah go read it other recommendations the need yeah it's so (laughs) by the need um by helen phillips oh my gosh it's so good it's one of my favorite books of the year it really is thank you so much i that means more than i can say you write a book in such solitude and you just don't know how it's gonna land with people so Mm. thank you yeah um and also to the to the good people out there um we of course appreciate it when you leave us itunes reviews um we like when you go to our patreon patreon.com slash smdb and you um give us a little money to keep making the show if you're we have a couple spots left where you we're gonna send one more thing out to our um patrons this year Mm -hmm. um and you know we like it when you talk to us. Yeah, online we're on Twitter or in person. We're That's on Instagram. fine too, but <laughs> all it's, it's so many damn books on everything. Um, yeah, yeah. Helen, thank you so much for coming. Thank you thank so you. much, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.